This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Make sure to go to timcast.com, click join us and become a member to support this podcast and all the work we do, and you'll get access to exclusive uncensored segments from Timcast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. I have to admit, I nearly lost it when I read this headline. Tucker Carlson is nothing without Fox News, and his sad Twitter broadcast debut proves it. Seriously, dudes, the panic is palpable. Chris Licht, the head of CNN, is out. The, the staff at CNN are revolting. Okay, well, I, normally I, I try not to use that word because it means both disgusting and in revolution. But in this instance, perhaps both. They're outraged that Chris Licht hosted Donald Trump for a town hall. And despite the ratings bump, they want him gone. So he left. Cable news, the corporate press is collapsing right before our very eyes. Onward to victory, my friends. Tucker Carlson's sad little Twitter broadcast. Yeah, it only got like 70 million views. 70 million. I, man, I feel so defeated. You know, it's like here I am working really hard to produce these segments for all you guys. And I do, you know, 20 minute segments, 10 minute segments, two hour show. And we get 100, 200, 300,000. Tim Castile, we sometimes we get it. We get to, um, between uh, the the uh, YouTube live and the podcast, maybe like half a million, half a million. It's very good. It's very it's very good to get half a million when Tucker Carlson is getting seventy million. <laughs> okay, all right. To be fair, this was Tucker Carlson's first Twitter show launch, so of course everybody wanted to watch it and see what it was all about, and it was it was fantastic. It was your typical Tucker Carlson monologue segment. It was about 10 minutes long. That's what Tucker produces on his main show. And then you'd throw in interviews and discussions and commercials. And 10 minutes is a good start. I think when it comes to the next few episodes he does, it's probably going to be, I don't know, six, seven million per, per episode. They're going to go viral. Everyone's going to share them. They're going to debate the ideas because that's what Tucker does and has always done. And of course, media matters and other leftist organizations are going to be obsessed with it. But here's what really matters. The media is losing their minds because they're done. They're falling apart. Tucker Carlson. Oh, I, I can't read. 65 0.7 million views. You call that sad? Wow. These are bigger than Super Bowl numbers. If this is the future of media, if Tucker really is able to maintain anything close to this viewership, he could charge millions of dollars for an ad. Millions. Because it's premium. Now, with the internet, CPMs and all that stuff, I'd estimate that Tucker probably would end up charging around a hundred to maybe five hundred thousand dollars per ad on his Twitter show. Probably would jump in around the three minute mark and be like, "This segment of Tucker Carlson tonight is brought to you by insert you know company." But I think Tucker would probably be better off 
advertising his own brand, his own products or his own website. But to call it sad is absolutely laughable. Here's the big news. And then we'll jump back to the uh, Tucker Carlson thing. I know that most of you probably would prefer just to uh, have me rag on these people and insult them and and cheer for, for Tucker. But there is very serious news first, which does allow me to rag on the corporate press. So let's start here and talk about the fall of the once great narrative machine. CNBC reports Chris licked out after Trump town hall fallout brutal Atlantic article. They say Chris Licht is out at CNN after leading the news network for a little more than a year. Parent company Warner Bros. Discovery announced Wednesday morning. The company said it's, it is seeking a replacement. In the meantime, executives Amy and Tellis, Virginia Mosley, Eric Sherling, and David Levy will lead CNN. The company said, oh, it is all crumbling down around you. Lick's departure came as he faced a rebellion among CNN's talent and staff. His tenure, which effectively started when he eliminated the network's expensive CNN Plus streaming service, was riddled with programming missteps and rock bottom ratings. But CNN already had rock bottom ratings. In fact, when they hosted the Trump town hall, the ratings improved. Poor Chris Licht, bro. Um, I don't know what uh, what's going on with you if you're still under contract, but I would love to sit down and talk with you about this because it really did seem like Chris Licht was like, hey, look, man, CNN has gone left. We should not do that. We should have legitimate news. And I agree. And I feel kind of bad because he was trying to bring that back, even getting rid of Don Lemon. But it is what it is. He drew even more heated criticism in recent weeks after the network hosted a town hall with Donald Trump that was packed with scores of the former president's cheering fans. While the event drew 3.3 million viewers, CNN's ratings plummeted afterwards. Two days after the town hall, CNN's prime viewership came in below right wing outlet Newsmax, a much smaller network. That is not his fault. But I got to tell you, I know how all this happens. First, I will say, if you as a news network cannot host the Republican frontrunner for the presidency, you're not a news network. You're done. It's over. They're screaming like, we don't want this guy on our network. Then be a specialty activist brand. But the most trusted name in news, you're gonna have to have the Republican front runner. How insane have, has it all become? Where CNN is like, well, we can't host Republicans anymore. Great. You're a liberal activist network. Congratulations. Your market share is going to. And so this is what happened. Jeff Zucker comes into CNN. I think this was like, what, early 2010s or like 2012 or something. He comes in and says, my intention is to rip the heart of this network clean from its withering corpse and crush it between my fingers. And that's what he did. A little energy for you. That's what he did. Jeff Zucker turned CNN into a leftist anti-Trump activist network. And viewers like me abandoned ship. I tell you the story all the time. When I lived in New Jersey, I had a big projector, and it would be on 24-7 playing CNN. Okay, not literally 24-7, but when I woke up, here's what I would do. This was before Timcast IRL for the most part. I'd wake up at about 6 a.m. I usually, I wake up a little bit uh, later these days. I'd wake up at 6 a.m., I'd get on the treadmill, I would turn on CNN so the news is playing in the background while I played Hearthstone, the card game. You guys know it, maybe. And uh, I would exercise in the morning, watch CNN. 
And they'd be like, here's what's happening in the news. And this is like, what year is this? Probably like 26, 2017, 2018. And then one day something happened. I'm watching CNN and they're talking about Donald Trump. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. This is the news, I guess. And then I see on Twitter, there was mass protest, mass unrest in Iran. And I'm like, how do I find out about it? I turn on Fox News. Bang. They're talking about protests in Iran. I'm like, okay, I'll leave this on, I guess. I didn't watch Fox News. And then after that, uh, there was another uh, another instance happened because I'm like, okay, you know, I'm watching CNN. They're talking about Donald Trump, a panel, a Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And there's like a hurricane coming to the southeast or something like that. And I'm like, okay, how do I find out about this? So I turn on Fox News. What are they doing? Meteorological reports, weather, disaster, conflict. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll leave this on. And that was it. At that point, I posted, you can see it on Instagram when I posted it, the CNN challenge. I called it turn on CNN and then turn on Fox News and see if CNN is just talking about Trump. Like the point was, the challenge is, can you get real news from CNN? You turn it on and it would be Trump and you turn on literally anything else. And it was like news thing happening. And so that was it. From that point on, I just stopped watching CNN. And that's what Zucker did. He ripped out the heart because he was like, it's cheap content. It boosts our viewership. But what he did not understand, when you have a million viewers, and they were getting like a million plus, and you say, hey, when we do this Trump roundtable, we get 1.5 million. What he doesn't understand is that you are not supplementing your viewership. You are swapping out your viewership. That million, those were like moderates who cared about news. When you shifted to Trump, 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 that number drops to half a million and you add one million left liberal anti-Trump activists. Now your network is going to keep pushing in this direction because of the views. What happens? What's remaining of those moderates disappear. I being one of them. I no longer watch CNN and don't care to because it's pointless. They're insane people and they've never recovered. So when Chris Licht comes in and says, let's bring it back, let's try and be news again. All that happens now is you lose all of those psychopathic liberal activists and cult members, and you're never getting me back. I'm not going to watch your network, dude. You can't save it. Guess what? CNN may as well be Media Matters at this point. It may as well be a nonprofit leftist Democrat advocacy media outlet that will reach a couple hundred thousand people. Good luck. That's what you've become. They say it was the unflattering 15,000 word profile of Licht in the Atlantic titled Inside the Meltdown at CNN that might have sealed his fate. He apologized to staffers Monday morning, but top brass at CNN's parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery, including CEO David Zaslev, weren't happy with the article and and the aftermath. I have great respect for Chris personally and professional, Zaslev said in a news release. The job of leading CNN was never going to be easy, especially at a time of huge disruption and transformation. And he has poured his heart and soul into it. Well, we know we have to, we have work to do as we look to identify a new leader. We have absolute confidence in the team we have in place and we'll continue to fight for CNN and its world class journalism. I'm going to be honest with all you guys. I 100 percent believe that if I was placed in charge of CNN, the network would turn around in a matter of months and it would become the most profitable cable network channel on TV. The website, all of it, guaranteed. I know, boisterous, immodest, arrogant, you might say. But I'm going to be honest with all of you. 
I think if I were to randomly choose any one of you watching this video and put you in place of that network, the network would recover. Now, to be fair, I'm not like I run a media company, so I think I absolutely could fix CNN. Totally, totally think so. But I think the average person could fix it. <laughs> like That's my point. You go in there and be like, fire these people, cover real news. You're good. The problem is they won't. You need to clean house. Your ratings may falter. But if you come out right now, if CNN came out and said, we're getting rid of the leftist activism, your ratings would spike. Everyone would say, I want to watch this. What's this all about? Instead, they just falter. Instead, they can't break the addiction. Look at this. They just can't break the addiction. Now, Glenn Greenwald has a very excellent breakdown. He says media figures are flagrantly rewriting the history of CNN right before your eyes to make it seem as if CNN only started failing when Chris Licht was hired and demanded it stop being a DNC activist group. CNN was already in free fall and collapse when Licht was hired. That's true. One of the few tools liberal elites have left is to keep corporate media outlets in captivity to establishment Democrat ideology by using Twitter to shame any corporate media employees who deviate. That's why Licht has to be destroyed. Fine, but don't lie about pre-Licht CNN. Here's from uh, Daily Beast says CNN bottomed out in 2021. Will viewers come back? I guarantee I could bring those viewers back. I could launch shows. I could fix the network. But CNN wants to collapse. So be it. Let me just explain something to all of you outside of our beliefs, our views and the age group that we reach here at Timcast. I understand cable net cable TV is a different audience, but let me break it down for you. Timcast IRL is consistently the most viewed live show on YouTube at 8 p.m. I believe like nine out of 10 nights or, you know, let's say say four, four out of five, let's say typically every day. Timcast IRL will be the number one live show at 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. on YouTube. Sometimes there are other shows that are bigger because it's not absolute, but we're a consistent nightly talk show and culture show. We dominate. We end up hitting around, I think, like 400 to 500,000 in the key demo, which is 25 to 54. Uh, And then we have a a decent amount of viewers who are actually 18 to 24, surprisingly. I think it's like 16, 17 percent. Then take a look at cable. Cable is over 60. Guess what? People over 60, moderate to conservative by today's standards. CNN, you're trying what they're trying to do is they're like, we better attract young people. Otherwise, we're going to disappear. OK, well, going far left ain't going to do that for you because these people don't follow the news. Don't you get it? The people who believe the crackpot lies you push don't watch your network. They get their news from Facebook or TikTok or something. They hear it from activist organizations laundering far left ideology. The people who actually care about news like you or I, we would probably watch it if they were real. So imagine Chris Lick's vision come to fruition. I think it would have succeeded in the long run if he was allowed to do it. Attracting newer, younger viewers with conversations like this, raw, uncut, authentic, real news, and the viewership would skyrocket. But it's funny, Newsmax is doing better than CNN. Because we're sick of the lies. We're sick of the lies. Look at this. June 1st, CNN ratings crater to a whopping 25% since last year, despite bump from town hall. It is free fall. Benny Johnson says, Taylor, 
complaining, we'll, we'll keep it family friendly, about the lack of petty corporate media graphics on Tucker's new show reveals that our media experts don't understand what time it is. Audiences don't want superficial fluff and glitter. They want truth and substance. The media landscape has changed forever. My friends, I have no teleprompter. I have never used one except for when we were doing those early news segments on, on uh, um, what was, what did we call the channel before? It was, I think it was, it was before it was Subverse. It was whatever. But on that channel was like a straightforward news program where it's like today in the news, X, Y, and Z happened. And we saw this happen and that happened. But for me and my Timcast channels, Timcast IRL, no prompters, none. I can do this whole thing with my eyes closed. There's quite literally nothing that I'm reading other than the tweets right here. No prompters. It is just me opining. It's what I think. It's what I feel. But they don't get it. They expect Tucker to come out with lower thirds. And Tucker is using a prompter. He is. And that's fine. It's a well-produced news segment formulating a strong argument. I got no problem with that. But people want authenticity. Tucker is giving them a straight shot in the news. It's, it's scripted, for sure. But you can be scripted and authentic as long as you are, you're, treating people's, you're treating people with respect. You are being honest with them. Look at this from Insider. This is what they say. Tucker is in trouble if his first live stream is anything to go by. The first episode of Twitter stream debuted uh, lacked the shine of his Fox News glory days. Without the Chiron and quick cuts, Carlson must now complete compete with the likes of Alex Jones, and he's losing. It's the craziest thing I've ever read. I can just pull it up right here and show you. 65 million views? That's losing? He did one video. We get that in the entire month. Tucker Carlson, in one day, in 10 minutes, got what Timcast gets for the month. Ugh. <laughs> If Tucker, if, if Tucker, if this was like Anderson Cooper, I'd be a little upset. I'd be like, yikes, man, we got an uphill battle, but I'm actually pretty excited because of course Tucker Carlson gets more views than we do. He's Tucker Carlson. So when he can put out a video like this and just hit a grand slam and he doesn't need Chirons or anything fancy, are you kidding me? He's, he's, you're, you know what? Y'all deserve not to exist because if you can't grasp what people are doing on the internet with success. But I got to tell you, something I've experienced quite a bit. We here at Timcast um, rarely make the news. Rarely. And I often wonder about it. Like, you know, they, uh, uh, they'll talk about various podcasts in the media, right-wing personalities, conservative personalities, uh, activists. My name never comes up because they have no idea what's going on in the real world. Now, I'm not here to say that, like, they should be knowing who I am. Like, oh, how dare they not know my name? Do you know who I am? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they're, they're on the back end. They're on the, they're on the back end of the bell curve. They are, they are past their prime. They're out of the loop, and they have no idea what's going on. They think Tucker Carlson did badly because he doesn't have shiny chirons. I don't. You know what this, like, I mean, I guess technically, if you look down at the little thing right there that says become a member at TimCast.com. We have an overlay graphic that just sits there and doesn't change. I don't think we actually have this on, on TimCast News. We have that thing that says pop, it pops up and says like share this video or whatever. That's about the gist of what we have. Other than that, I read the news. I pull up this, this video box thing we made with OBS, Open Broadcasting System, I think it's called. And then I just kind of rant. And you know what? It's more authentic and real than what these people produce for their canned fake news media narratives. 
But think about the game they're playing and why they feel this way. They carefully craft a narrative. I don't. We don't. Media doesn't. Tucker Carlson breaks these narratives. That's why people like him. Shows like mine. Why is it successful? Because I just kind of turn the camera on and talk openly about what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. And then I read some of the news and opine on it. Nothing's pre-scripted. Nothing's pre-planned. It is just a stream of my consciousness explaining what we think is going on, how I feel about it, what may or may not be. Reading comments, watching videos. And what does the media do? The exact opposite. They sit there, they look at the story and they say, how can we frame this? What's the, what's the, what's the angle? That's what they ask. They often ask, what's the angle? You know, for me, the only thing I, th- I really think about is after I record, I'm like, what's the title of this video? You know? And uh, I try to go for like medium to strong, uh, uh, ev- evocative language. Medium to strong. I don't like to do the overt, but depending how I'm feeling, I might. But medium. I don't want to do something weak where it's like Tim Pool addresses CNN failure. Like that's nothing. Says you know. So this will probably be titled like CNN collapsing. Boss is out as Tucker, you know, bla- hits grand slam. And I think that's just like colorful language to explain what is literally happening. But I got to tell you, I just want I want to say this. Congratulations, Tucker Carlson. Um, I'm not going to shed a single tear for CNN. You deserve it. I'm just happy to see it. Look, with the Bud Light effect, with Target, with Kohl's, with all these companies struggling and failing, we are marching toward victory, my friends, cultural victory. We have parents out there protesting what these schools are doing to their kids. We have a new wave of media dominating the airwaves and Tucker paving the way. The old guard is failing and they're too stupid to realize why. And we're winning. Feels good. Fourth of July is coming up in like a month. Really excited. Independence Day, I should say, the Fourth of July. And uh, we've got a documentary coming out. We have a documentary coming out next week. We're winning. It's fantastic. It feels great. Thank you all who are members at TimCast.com for being a part of that victory. For if you cannot do anything else, one thing you can do, if you are trapped in a job in a city and you are fighting to escape the oppressive woke cult that surrounds you and your family, you're having a very hard time with it. I know it may be the hardest thing you've ever done, and maybe you can't leave the city for a variety of reasons. There is one thing you can do. You can share shows like this. You can join Steven Crowder's Mug Club. You can become a member at TimCast.com. You can sign up for the Daily Wire Plus. That's the simplest thing you can do. Now, I would, I would say, hey, become a member at TimCast.com, support our work directly. But I, will, I would be remiss if I did not mention the good work that Crowder does, the good work the Daily Wire does, the good work that Dave Rubin does, that so many other people on Rumble and Locals are doing. All of that and your willingness to pick and choose who you think should succeed with your contributions as members to all of their platforms. That is why we are winning. The budget for TimCast is primarily based upon you as members. The ability for us to do all these things. Let me add a few points. I did not bring this up before. I, I don't know if I should or shouldn't mention it. But um, yesterday, people on TimCast IRL said, I, I probably should point out when I, when, I, when I donate money. What I don't want to do is be like, hey, everybody, look how great I am. I gave money to somebody. However, 
maybe I should be the one standing in front of the crowd being like charge, right? There is a father who is fighting for custody of his son, and they are trying to uh, uh, transition his kid. I donated to this man's give, send, go $10,000. Daniel Penny, of course, you know about. I was wrong in my view of, you know, what, how sh- we should be helping this guy. And so I said, you know what? I feel it, it feels crummy. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do the best I can. Twenty grand, twenty thousand dollars. And then with uh, there's another uh, uh, activist uh, small group that I'm going to leave them to their own devices. But I will mention I contributed uh, uh, around ten thousand dollars to them to fight for uh, parents rights and to prevent children from being uh, sterilized and things like that. Maybe I should highlight these things more. So that you know, when you become a member of TimCast.com, actually, I'll put it this way. For the most part, the memberships at TimCast are going towards investment in everything we're doing. The, uh, uh, the coffee shop, the coffee company that we've made, uh, we've made, Cast Brew Coffee, to build a parallel economy and to build cultural spaces, to fund music. We've got a, uh, I don't want to say too much, but we're going to be working with a very big band and producing some really great music. Many of you could probably guess. And, uh. The, the, the profit, basically, that we get here, it goes towards just expanding more. We're hiring, uh, uh, we're, we're having a meeting to hire another person um, today, shortly, to expand our culture war show. That's what the money goes to. And then when the profit rolls over to me, I personally make choices where I donate that to people who I think needs it, who need it. I don't take a salary. The salary that I get paid does not come out of TimCast IRL. To, uh, I'll, I'll frame this as carefully as possible. To be honest, um, we make a lot of money through memberships, through advertising revenue and all that. The, so what I pay myself is less than what this single channel generates. That's where my pay comes from. So I produce five videos per day and two on Friday for this channel. And from the ad revenue alone, I pay myself a salary. Timcast IRL generates ad revenue and memberships, and that money primarily goes towards investing into the company, into funding projects, albeit afterwards there's profit rollover. I don't want to make it seem like that's not the case, but then I'll use any, like I use that stuff for like contributing. And that's why we want to do this grant program. I know it's, it's really hard to get started because I'm just one guy and I rant on the internet all day. But this is what I'm talking about. We are winning the culture war. I, I, I care more about, as I often say, I would rather spend 10 grand on seeing a father save his son than buying, a, I don't know, a gold watch or something. I don't care about that. I care about a gold watch. I did buy a new cool watch made of wood. <laughs> this is very cool. But like, for the most part, the, what matters to me to buy, if I could buy something, it's winning a cultural victory. It is making the world a better place. It is investing in meritocracy, individuality. And you know what? I spend substantially more on winning in these areas than so many other wealthy people who claim to care about the culture war. And it's not a humble brag. It is, I am lamenting the fact. I wish more people cared about that. The future for our children. I know, and then I, I'll get this comment, Tim, you don't have kids. Yo, I care about your kids. I care about the future of this country. I care about our values and our ideals. I care about making it to the stars. I care about instilling in young people the value of hard work and justice. Truth meritocracy, personal liberties. That's what I want to see. If someone came to me and said, Tim, 
If you spend all your money and you stop doing this show, you've won the culture war. Like if they said we can guarantee the culture war is over, your ideals and the ideals of all of your fans and the people of America win. And it will cost you the price of everything you have. I would say deal. And then I'd go live in my van down by the river. I'd go skating. I'd go fishing. I would relax. It would be amazing. But here's the reality. The amount that we make here at Timcast, it's never going to be enough to win a culture war because the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. You can never stop because the forces of evil are constantly pushing upon us. So what can I say? From the bottom of my heart, thanks to all of you who are members who watch these shows, watch my videos. I get to live a blessed life. Many of the people who work on Timcast projects also get to live a blessed life. There are not, it is not without its challenges, like being swatted 15 times, getting death threats. I have a bodyguard security when we travel. I have to have a security. We pay out for all that. And that's the reality of it. So it, is, it doesn't come without its sort of Damocles, as it were. But it is an honor and a privilege to be able to stand up for what I believe in, to speak my mind every day into this camera for people to hear, and for in turn, you all to support the work that I do and all of us here at Timcast so that we can win a culture war, which will make the future better for everyone, including you and your children and generations to come. It is an honor and a privilege, my friends. Seeing the collapse of CNN, the success of, of Tucker Carlson warms my heart and inspires me to, to the utmost degree. And so I hope on this day you sit back, crap op- crap op- crack open an ice cold one, smile and nod as you enjoy a nice all-American beef burger. And uh, just know that with everything we've seen over the past week, with the Bud Light effect, with Target, victory has never been closer. CNN's demise, Tucker Carlson's success. Yo, I'm ready for fireworks today, but we still got to wait a month. I hope you're ready for what's to come, because we're winning, despite all of the bad things. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. A major shift is upon us. From the Bud Light effect, Target stock, Kohl's, North Face, regular people are starting to say no to the indoctrination and grooming of their children. And it's culminating in dangerous circumstances. The Post-Millennial reports, violence between Antifa and parents erupts in Glendale, California, outside school board meeting over LGBT pride agenda. That's right. A group of fathers were upset that their kids are being groomed in these schools with sexualized courses that are beyond these children's understanding, and the kids should not be taught this. Parents inside were protesting, and outside, far-left extremists physically attacked the parents. Now, it's funny. If you look at the videos, you'll see something fairly obvious. It is masked black-clad far-left extremists, as we've seen. We don't know who these people are other than they are your typical far-left extremist. Additionally, leftists are much less likely to actually have children. So if we were to do, if we were to make an inference on what was happening, you have just some local men of varying background, not wearing uh, political clothing. Some, I believe, uh, uh, maybe, I'm not sure, but just guys, hoodies, jeans, far left extremists wearing political symbols, engaging in a political act of violence, as they typically do. And so that's the story that you get from the post millennial. 
The Daily Mail says mass brawl erupts during protest outside L.A. school board vote on recognizing June as Pride Month. Three arrested as demonstrators in Leave Our Kids Alone shirts brutally clash with LGBTQ activists. And then, of course, you get pink news, which frames it like this. Violence breaks out at school board meeting over Pride Month. Extremists attacked LGBTQ parents. Did they? If you're the parent of a child at the school, would you show up black clad wearing a mask? Or would you show up in normal clothes to a meeting at your school board? I'll just put it this way. The assumption, the presumption, the people who are showing up with political iconography and starting fights probably don't have kids in this school. But of course, that's what the pink news is saying. Alejandra Caraballo says violent far right anti LGBTQ extremists viciously attacked LGBTQ parents outside of a Glendale CA school board meeting about recognizing June as Pride Month. As usual, the police are helping the extremists. Yeah, no, that's not what happened. It's not what happened because we actually know that these people, these men who are showing up are parents who are upset about what's being taught to their children. And they're saying no. But of course, the media is going to try to lie because there is a psychotic cult, which has many pedophiles and groomers trying to get to your kids. Oh, and they get so mad. They say, you really got to watch what you say, Tim, because, you know, some people look, I'm not a parent at these schools. I'm not showing up. I did not attend any of these fights. I did not even know this meeting was happening. These parents knew more than I did. I'm only telling you after the fact that parents are getting fed up with the pedophiles coming for their kids. Here's the story from the post millennial. An all out brawl between Antifa and parents erupted outside a Glendale, California school board meeting on Tuesday. Parents had attended the meeting to demand transparency of curriculum, which the Glendale school board has refused to provide. A Glendale mom who was inside the meeting told the post millennial that the school board refused to engage with parents. And instead of dealing with parents and giving the information parents have rightly demanded, they paraded a selection of uninformed local elected officials who had no idea what was going on or what the issues were. We have this tweet from Andy No. He says, breaking Armenian American men fight against Antifa and far left protesters outside the Glendale CA school board meeting. Immigrant families have been furious that elementary schools are doing pride events. Antifa have gathered to oppose the events. Oppose the parents. Sorry. I'm going to break it down like this. Here's reality. The majority of people don't agree with this stuff. That's why we're seeing the Bud Light effect and target. That is proof. Proof positive. If Bud Light sales drop by 30% despite Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. Yeah, people are uh, uh, not okay with what these companies are doing and they're fed up and they're starting to push back. That's regular people. 30% of Anheuser-Busch sales. That's not like some fringe right-wing extremist group. It's regular people saying enough. The far left, a small fringe faction of psychopaths groomers, pedophiles, and far left extremists, cult members, want to put you in their box. They want to frame it as though they are the majority. They're not. And the Bud Light effect proves it. Target stock dropping by $13 billion. Yeah, that's not because of Antifa. That's because of regular people. Antifa doesn't go and shop at Target. They loot, ransack, and destroy Target. So 
when regular people say no, you can choose which side you want to be on. Do you want to be part of the fringe faction that will likely end up getting arrested? Trump's going to get elected. And then you're going to actually see DOJ action against these terrorist groups. That's what they are. Extremist terrorist groups. You're going to see action taken at the federal level to get the grooming pedophile stuff out of these schools. It is kind of crazy that it's come this far, really, that you have books like Gender Queer in schools. How did it get that far? It's because your average person is passive and lets this stuff happen. And then one day they hear about it and they're like, whoa, what? And of course, there was here's what I find interesting. When parents started to find out that these schools were being infiltrated by pedophiles and groomers who were introducing their children to to sexually perverted ideas, uh, notably in genderqueer, for instance, they're trying to give middle schoolers access to overt adult imagery, adult acts, sex acts. You have the pride event in West Hollywood that just is going viral now where two men perform a sex act on each other. I should say one man performs a sex act on another man in public with children in view. They get away with this because the average person doesn't know. And then once they amass enough corporate and cultural power, when one parent steps up and says, hey, hey, I don't know about this, they're overwhelmed. But those far left extremists, groomers and pedos still are a small fringe group and they can form their little gangs and they can go and smash windows. And in numbers, they have strength. But eventually, more and more parents start saying enough, very much so like that scene from V for Vendetta, you know, at the end where the inspector says at some point something will do someone, someone will do something stupid. And then it shows the cop. He basically shoots a little girl and everyone in the neighborhood just goes up and starts beating the crap out of him. When you have 10 cops, you know, authoritarian tyrants, you know, they can oppress one person at a time or two people. But once the whole neighborhood rises up, this is what we're seeing now. The far left extremists bank on the fact that although they're a small fringe group, they concentrate their force. So 30 or so people can go out and beat up 10 parents. But what happens when there's 50 parents? What happens when these ideas spread and the parents say, I will not accept this? Then the police, well, now you're in a rock and a hard place because these Antifa guys are going to get stomped. These pedophiles, parents aren't going to stand for this. Breaking. Armenian American men fight against Antifa and far left protesters. Take a look at this. Glendale CA police beat back the Armenian American men who want to fight Antifa outside the school board meeting. The immigrant families oppose pride celebrations in schools. Antifa communists and far left protesters gathered to support that. Look, I'm not going to I'm not going to hold back and I'm not trying to be cute. When I say groomer and pedophile, I'm not referring to a run of the mill liberal. They'll tr- th- th- that's what they want to do. The left will be like, he's calling you those names. They want to wrap you up in their ideology. I'm not calling liberals pedos. I'm calling a very tiny faction of people who are trying to sneak these books into schools pedos and groomers. Why are these? There was there was that teacher. She was giving out a book called This Book is Gay. In it, it instructed children on how to download, upload photos to and use adult sex apps. Why would a middle school teacher be teaching children how to secretly meet with adults for sex? I will ask you that again. Why would a middle school teacher provide instruction to to children ages 10 through 12 on how to use apps to anonymously and 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 discreetly meet with adult men for sex? You know why? You know why? Come on. 
Don't play any. Uh, there's no other explanation. Well, the teacher just doesn't understand that. She, what? You think the teacher doesn't know, like, here's the book that explains how to do it. You think, oh, come on. The teacher knows exactly what she's doing. Yes, teachers abuse kids. It happens a lot. And now they're using the mask of pride to get away with it. But parents are saying enough. Armenian, Hispanic, and Christian families have been protesting the Glendale School Board's pride celebrations and the indoctrination of their children into radical gender ideology. Parents were there protesting, trying to work with Glendale Unified as to what will be taught during Pride Week. A mother, oh, it's, it's from month to week now, huh? A mother who was inside the, uh, the meeting filmed parents protesting. Basically, there's some so-called Antifa or hoodlums, antisocial folks who are here, 20 to 30 folks, who segregated themselves with LGBTQ protesters. Then they moved away and went to a parking lot. They met a group of Armenian men. One, one the Antifa attacked, one of the Antifa attacked an Armenian man, and the men fought back. A father on the scene told the post-millennial. Parents went to the school board to demand information because the Glendale Unified School Board won't respond and take any actionable steps to tell parents what is happening or what will be taught. A father said to the post-millennial, we want our voices to be heard and we want acknowledgement from the superintendent that they are not acknowledging it, he said. Andy No tweets, Antifa and supporters of children's pride events retreated following a fight outside Satakoy Elementary in Los Angeles. Mostly Armenian-American families gathered to protest the school's pride celebrations. And, you know, continues, a violent cell of Antifa whose members have been convicted for violent conspiracy in San Diego calls for a rematch, direct action against the Armenian and Hispanic families protesting the Glendale USD school board uh, over pride events. This is what I find fascinating. These are overt political groups protesting dads, protesting families. The Daily Mail says Glendale Unified School District on Tuesday held a board meeting at which they were due to discuss recognizing June as Pride Month. The meeting attracted a large number of protesters and counter protesters, as well as a significant police presence. The two sides began scuffling and police stepped in to separate them, using their batons to beat the crowds back and making at least one arrest. I love this framing because let me tell you, a far leftist who has merchandise, clothing, that represents far left ideology is someone committed to their cause. A dude wearing a hoodie and jeans is likely just some random guy. So when you say counter protesters, I reject that. I reject that. But that's what a lot of these news outlets try to do. They try to feign neutrality. We're not being neutral with these with these far left extremists. All right. A dude showing up in a jean jacket and jeans is not someone who is probably super politically active. A guy who shows up just with a hoodie. Not likely politically active. Look at all these people, old dudes in jackets, moms in what appears to be a North Face jacket. These people do not seem to be a counter protest group at all. It seems to be regular people. But when you look at the Antifa individuals, I mean, they have stickers, they have clothing, they're wearing uniforms. This is what we get. Eyewitness News. Los Angeles Unified School District unanimously passes resolution to encourage LGBTQ education for all schools. The resolution also served as the board's official recognition of June as Pride Month. Yeah, parents are going to have to say no to this, and they're going to have to show up and take their kids out of these schools. No question. Do it. 
But, you know, I can tell you where this is, where this has been going for some time. Let me tell you. I remember when I was a kid, if you were under 16 years old and you weren't in school, you were truant and the police would actually they would take you. And this is the, this is crazy to me. You think about it. Uh, it only ever happened to me one time, I think, curfew. So in Chicago, if you're under a certain age and you're out past a certain time, you're violating curfew. The cops will pick you up, bring you home and make your parents sign something for violating curfew. It just seems absolutely insane to me that they have curfew for people under a certain age. But they also have truancy. If you are 14 or 15 or perceivably, the cops will stop you as you're walking around and say, why aren't you in school? And then they will pick you up and they will bring you home and your parents get in trouble. Your parents can get, uh, I believe, criminally charged. Chicago. Think about what that means. Let's say in your school, they're introducing pedophilic material and they're trying to groom your kids. So you tell your kid to you pull them out of that school. Well, now if your kid during school hours is walking around or not, not only that, if you don't register your kid with some kind of schooling program or something, they will come find you and say you're abusing your kid. And this is obvious to me where it goes. Indoctrination used to be that kids learn from their parents. Now, at least I can't speak for other cities. Maybe you guys can comment uh, below as to the cities you live in and what their laws are. But if a kid isn't in school and isn't registered anywhere, after a certain amount of time, they go for the parents and they say, you are abusing your child. What if the child's been removed from the school because of the abuse the school's doing to them? Hmm. There are correspondent schools. So this is what, what I did when I was younger. They mail you your curriculum and then you just do the tests and mail them back. It's, it, it seems silly because... What we were doing when we were kids, me and my, my brother, we were completing two weeks of public schooling per day. Seriously, it's, it's schools are so broken, man. Let me tell you, here's how schools work. Monday, they say, open up your, your book to chapter or whatever. Today, this week's, uh, you know, this week, we're going to be learning about this thing. And then you go through that chapter throughout the week, you do homework. And then Friday, you take a test. Did you master that course? That's how it was when I was a kid. I don't know about you guys. In one week, we, we read about this one thing over and over and over again every day until Friday we take a test. Silly. What we would do with correspondent school is we would get mailed books and they would say, once you complete all of these tests, like complete the test, send it in. Just do it. So you have the book, uh, the workbook and the uh, uh, test book. The test book has all the tests. The workbook has all of the curriculum. So what would we do? We would read the chapter in an hour and then take the test for that chapter, fold it up, put it in an envelope. Then we'd read the next chapter, take the test, fold it up, put it in an envelope. We'd mail them both out. Two weeks of public schooling done in a day. And so we basically finished an entire four years extremely quickly in a matter of months. So why are schools this way? Why do schools take so long? Why do they function the way they do? It's very weird, isn't it? I certainly don't think it makes sense. Now, you can see how they operate and how they're, how they're operating now, I think, is particularly important in that what's mostly happening to your kids, are they learning to balance a checkbook? No. Are they even learning about the birds and the bees? No. And that's where you get things, I think, get fairly obvious. When they're bringing your kids into a school where they're teaching them about gay sex before they teach them about general reproduction, don't you have some questions to ask? And this is what I've been saying for a while. You want to talk about sex ed for kids? 
I think it's completely reasonable that Florida said parental rights and education bill. You don't teach kids these things. Parents have, you know, are, are the ones who will ultimately decide what's right for their kids. But shouldn't the first thing you do is teach a child about general birds and bees? After that, then they can start to learn about atypical relationships. Why should teachers be providing books to children about butt plugs? I'm not exaggerating. Ron DeSantis banned this. It's because they're pedophiles. I am not drink being cute. I am not being angry. I am being descriptive. An adult like this woman. Actually, where was that woman? I think it's a. Uh, let me see if I can. I want to make sure I get this because knowing where this teacher is. Illinois. It was an Illinois teacher named Sarah Bonner who was instructing children on how to use adult anonymous gay sex apps. She was instructing her children. I'm going to pull this up, okay? I'm, I'm going to pull this up because let's, uh, let me see, which, which, which source did I use? She had the police called on her. The New York Post. Parents call police after Illinois teacher offers LGBTQ book to her students. Come on, New York Post. You can do better than this. This book is gay. She said, I want to give a smattering of fiction and nonfiction to choose from, blah, blah, blah. The parents filed a police report for child endangerment. The notion that I was putting children in danger because of books, blah, blah, blah. It says, uh, the New York Post says the best-selling nonfiction book has been promoted by publishers as an informational guide. It's also the ninth most banned book in America, according to Publishers Weekly. The day after she learned, blah, 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 she decided to resign. I wonder if the New York Post even, is even going to mention what this book, wow, surprisingly, no. This is absolutely amazing. Even the New York Post, even the New York Post, here's someone's comment. I'll see what they say. They said, I completely understand a rationale. Exposing students to literature is, is a component of education. I would simply ask, what would the fallout look like if she introduced the Bible to Reading Monday? This is not even that. The book, This is Gay, has instructions on how to use dating apps for adult men and giving it to little boys and little girls. So no wonder. I think it's fascinating that the way it's framed in the media, even the New York Post, is that she was just offering an LGBTQ book. That's absolutely amazing. Let me, uh, let me, I, I want to make sure I have that for you because there may be people who see this and say, oh, you didn't prove it. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to pull up the images to make sure I can show you definitively. All right. Well, here's, here's one image. Actually, you know, I think I can pull the whole thing up right here. I just got to be careful because, uh, Okay, this one is censored. Hillsborough County School Board has voted to remove This Book is Gay from all middle schools in the district. The book instructs readers on anal sex and the use of gay adult hookup app Grinder. So you can see the this is the book. It says the ins and outs of gay sex, and it shows a naked man with arrows pointing. And uh, I want to be I got to I got to be careful on this one because uh, the book is so graphic and explicit. I don't think that um, I don't think I can show it on YouTube. So, uh, well, there, well, there you say it, uh, sketches of a naked man with pubic hair in the section that details how sex apps work. Dawson writes, it is a fact that although grown up adults, adult types are sometimes looking for a serious relationship. Sometimes they are just looking for a spot of sexy fun time. Remember, this is fine as long as you're honest and always use a condom. Why are middle schoolers being taught that? And how to use hookup apps, hookup apps, because they're pedophiles. Like I'm, I'm not here to mince words or be cute or play games or use their language or defend them. This teacher, I believe, in Illinois is a pedophile. And it, it's, it's, it's a challenging thing to say. It really is because there's, there's defamation laws. But I'm sorry. Look, if you 
instruct children on how to use uh, hookup app apps so they can meet adult men for gay sex. I think you're trying to meet those children, right? You see what I'm saying? Like, there's no reason for an adult to do that unless that adult wants children to engage in activities with adults because they're pedophiles. And then when parents get angry, fighting breaks out. So look, the big takeaway from this, not to rehash things you probably already know, but it's to point out parents are saying enough and they're pushing back and the extremists are reeling from it. They're saying, no, no, far right extremists attacked us. You mean parents? Far right extremists, parents? Well, we saw the FBI called parents in Loudoun County, Virginia, called them terrorists. You see where this is going. These people are deranged psychopaths, but we're winning. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Ah, yes, I know YouTube will be none too happy with this news article, but this one is important. The Wall Street Journal with a smashing expose, exposing Instagram, connecting a vast pedophile network. Yeah, all that stuff they said was conspiracy theories turns out to be true over and over and over again. So we have to wonder why it is that before Elon Musk took over Twitter, they allowed this stuff. They weren't doing anything about it. Elon Musk comes into Twitter and then immediately starts removing this exploitation, abuse and pedophilia. Instagram not only is hosting it, but actually promoting it in their algorithm. Some of the important things y'all need to know about from the Wall Street Journal. The meta unit system for fostering communities have guided users to pedophile content. Company says it is improving internal controls. Instagram, the popular social media site owned by Meta, helps connect and promote a vast network of accounts openly devoted to the commission and purchase of underage content, according to investigations by the Wall Street Journal and researchers at Stanford University and the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Pedos have long used the internet, but unlike the forums and file transfer services that cater to people who have interests in illicit content, Instagram doesn't merely host these activities. Its algorithms promote them. Instagram connects and guides them to content sellers via recommendation systems that excel at linking those who share niche interests, the journal, and the academic researchers found. There's a question around section 230. At what point is the platform held responsible for hosting these things? Now, I understand Instagram is massive. I use Instagram. And if I was running a platform and somebody was putting this stuff on there without me knowing, it's like it's not intentional, right? But when does Facebook have the duty to intervene? And should they have the, res- the, the duty to actively police their platform? The answer is yes. Here's what I think. I don't know if they are or aren't. I'm assuming Twitter wasn't because before Elon, they were being notified of this stuff and they weren't doing anything about it. Here's what I think. I think it should be by law. Companies like Facebook either forego Section 230 protections meaning no more editorialization, open platform for people to use. The people are responsible for what they post and share. Or Facebook must pay for and hire an active policing service to seek out illegal content. Now, I know, I know, I know they have moderators do these things. I'm saying it has to be one upped. It has to be in tandem with law enforcement. Oh, what's that? They don't want to spend the money. That's my point. Facebook doesn't want to spend the money to actively seek this stuff out. And if they don't, then they should not be granted those protections. If Facebook was actively trying to stop these things, I should say meta. Well, then I'd say, look, you know, 
you can't control every single person. I think the reality is the police need to handle this stuff. They need to go in and Meta should be taking it all down, but the police should be the one tracking the illegal content down. And I think that platforms should be treated like common carriers. They say, though out of sight for most of the platform, the sexualized accounts on Instagram are brazen about their interest. The researchers found that Instagram enabled people to search explicit hashtags such as pedo. Wow. Jeez, I didn't want to read some of this stuff. It's crazy. Instagram accounts offering to sell illicit material generally don't publish it openly, instead posting menus of content. Certain accounts invite buyers to commission specific acts. Holy crap. Some menus include prices for videos of children harming themselves. Man, wow. Animals. This is insane. The promotion of the content violates rules established by Meta as well as federal law. In response to questions from the journal, Meta acknowledged problems with its enforcement operations and said it has set up an internal task force to address the issues raised. Child exploitation is a horrific crime, the company said, adding, we're continuously investigating ways to actively defend against this behavior. Meta said it has in the past two years taken down 27 networks and is planning more removals. Since receiving the journal queries, the platform said it has blocked thousands of hashtags that target children, some with millions of posts, and restricted its system from recommending users search terms known to be associated with the abuse. It is said it said it is also working on preventing the systems from recommending that potentially uh, that potentially adults connect with one another, that pedophilic adults connect with. OK, look. The fact that in, that the Wall Street Journal found this. There were millions of these posts. I don't buy it. I really just don't buy it. How did Meta not see something as obvious as these overt hashtags? It's explicitly describing this content with millions of posts. They didn't see this. They didn't flag it. They didn't notice. We've been dealing with the internet for a, for a, a long time. Instagram's been around for a long time. Questions around whether or not social media platforms should have free reign under Section 230 have been around since 2016 or even longer. I mean, you could you could go back to the 90s when they when they when we passed Section 230 of the communications or the telecommunications decency act or something like that. I don't I don't buy that they did not know about this. So it makes you wonder. And again, I'll stress because Twitter was warned and Twitter didn't take action. I wonder if they're only taking action now because it's in the press. Alex Stamos, the head of Stanford Internet Observatory, not that I trust Stanford and Meta's chief security officer in 2018 until 2018 said that getting even obvious abuse under control would likely take a sustained effort. Yes, it would. That a team of three academics with limited access could find such a huge network set should set off alarms at Meta. He said, noting that the company has far more effective tools to map its network than outsiders do. I hope the company reinvests uh, in human investigators. Technical and legal hurdles make determining the full scale of the network hard for anyone outside Meta to measure precisely. Because the law around child content is extremely broad, investigating even the open promotion of it on a public platform is legally sensitive. Yeah, absolutely. In its reporting, the journal consulted with academic experts on online child safety. Stanford's Internet Observatory Division of the University's Cyber Policy Center focused on social media abuse, produced an independent quantitative analysis of the Instagram features that helped users connect and find content. The journal also approached UMass's Rescue Lab, which evaluated how these abusers on Instagram fit into a larger ecosystem of online exploitation using different methods. Both entities were able to quickly identify large scale communities 
promoting abuse. I I just don't buy that they didn't know about this. Test accounts set up by researchers that viewed a single account in the network were immediately hit with suggested for you recommendations of buyers and sellers. Jeez, man. As well as accounts linking to off-platform content trading sites. Following just a handful of these recommendations was enough to flood a test account with content that abuses children. So when you see these groomers in schools and you see the shared ideology of people on the left, when you see who is running Silicon Valley, I think it is fairly obvious to say there is a potentiality for intent behind who's working at Meta. Sorry, you can't play that game with me. You have these people going to schools, that teacher I mentioned in the previous segment who brought a book to children to, to teach them how to use adult anonymous gay sex apps. A teacher at a middle school in Illinois was teaching kids this stuff. And they lie. They lie in the media about what they're doing. So you mean to tell me these same people, the same ideology that are working in Silicon Valley aren't doing this on purpose? Don't buy it. I'm not saying everybody at Meta knew or was involved, but these infiltrator psychopathic leftists They harbor this ideology. They harbor people with these behaviors, criminal actions. You know, we got deep problems in this country and the world, mind you. This is crazy. A Meta spokesman said the company actively seeks to remove such users, taking down 490,000 accounts for violating its child safety policies in June alone. Instagram is an on-ramp to places on the internet where there's more explicit abuse said Brian Levine, director of UMass Rescue Lab, which researches researches online child victimization and builds forensic tools to combat it. Levine is an author of the 2022 report for the National Institute of Justice, the Justice Department's research arm on child uh, and internet child exploitation. Instagram, estimated to have more than 1.3 billion users, is especially popular with teens. The Stanford Stanford researchers found some similar sexually exploitative activity on another similar uh, smaller social platform, but they said they found the problem on Instagram is particularly severe. The most important platform for these networks and of buyers and sellers seems to be Instagram. They, they, they go on quite a bit and uh, talking about what they found. But I think we, you know, we, I, I kind of hit the nail on the head here. They go on to mention people who are targeting this stuff and trying to help kids. The takeaway from this story. Yeah, it's real. Epstein was real. Twitter, what was going on, on Twitter? It's real. And they try to cover it up and they lie. Powerful people in government don't want you to know what is happening on these platforms. They don't want you to know what is happening in these schools. But y'all better start paying attention because these people are evil. This is demonic stuff. And I mean that figuratively, not literally. You say something like demonic and they're like, he believes in weird creatures. And like, I'm saying figuratively, these are evil people of, of their hearts are made of sludge. And it's horrifying, man. We're on the Wall Street Journal for, for working to uncover this stuff. And we better see Instagram start taking this stuff down. That's what they're saying they're doing. But I just got to warn all of you. Don't be surprised when you find it in other places. It's entering your schools now. I will stress it again. That teacher was trying to teach these 10-year-olds, these middle schoolers, how to use adult anonymous gay sex apps. What do you think is going on in these places? You got to know what's going on with your kids, man. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Because, my friends, it is a day of victories.
that I must bring you this special segment. Modelo Especial is now the number one selling beer. Sales figures topped $333 million in May, a 15% rise in the same period last year as Bud Light sales fell to $297 million amid Dylan Mulvaney backlash. Now, we did have mutterings of this last week when they said that Bud Light was on its way to fall from the top spot. One analyst said that Modelo had taken over nationally across all metrics, but now we have the definitive report. It has happened. Not just speculation, not just analysis. Modelo is now number one. And I love to hear it because Modelo's actually really great. I'm a big fan. Never liked Bud Light. I do like Modelo, though I don't really drink, to be completely honest. And let's clear, let's clear something up. So we had talked about this before that Modelo was owned by Anheuser-Busch, but the clarification is that is only outside of the United States. Inside, due to an antitrust uh, action by the government, Constellation Brands controls the rights to Modelo. So that means Anheuser-Busch has lost the top beer by engaging in culture war garbage. The Daily Mail reports, Modelo Especial has now dethroned Bud Light as the top-selling beer in America after years of a longtime industry leader holding the top spot. In the four weeks ending May 28th, Modelo Especial store sales soared past $333 million, a 15.6% rise on the same period last year. Modelo surpassed Bud Light's $297 million, which was a 22.8% fall in sales. Anheuser-Busch, the parent company of Bud Light and Modelo Especial, has seen market cap value plummet 27 billion. <laughs> Holy crap. 27 billion dollars following a disastrous team up with Dylan Mulvaney. And here is a picture of some woman on Instagram drinking a Modelo, I guess. <laughs> She's got an American flag behind her. You choose America. You have your choice. You have country where is this? New Mexico or something? Country uh, uh, bumpkin woman drinking a Modelo with an American flag or Dylan Mulvaney trying to be Audrey Hepburn, I think, and offending people. Bill Newlands, the CEO of Modelo Especial's owner's Constellation brand, said the increase in sales happened quicker than they anticipated. Yo, when all this stuff went down with Dylan Mulvaney and all these beer companies, I bet everybody in the C-suite at Modelo cracked open some beers. They were probably shotgunning them being like, yeah, our, our rivals are destroying their brand. We thought that it would take a little longer. We've been very fortunate that that's gone a little quicker than we had anticipated. But what a great position to be in on the beer side, he told Newsweek. <laughs> He's dancing on the grave of Bud Light. U.S. sales of Modelo are controlled by rival Constellation brands and do not count as part of AB InBev's global volumes as part of an antitrust settlement. Anheuser-Busch and Constellation did not immediately respond to a request to comment. <clears throat> According to consultancy firm Bumps Williams Consulting, Modelo Especial sales were $341.9 million the week ending May 27th, compared to Bud Light's 28 However, long-term trends show that Bud Light remains the top-selling beer in the U.S. this year so far, according to Nielsen IQ. But that is unfair. It's unfair because there is the pre-controversy and the post-controversy. So what needs to happen is we need a clean year of data. So starting from when the controversy happened until April 1st of next year, then we'll get the real picture. But I think it's fair to say right now we know it. 
Bud Light sales are done. They're gone. I get it. I get it. They're still selling beer. I still see people drinking it. But when 30% of your market leaves you, that is the death knell. One thing we explained quite a bit on uh, Timcast IRL is uh, the, the uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a big sales guy. I only know a little bit because we've been doing some of this, but how volume plays a role in whether or not you can sell something at a price point. Let me explain. Let's say it, you have uh, 10,000 employees and it costs you, let's just, let, let's just, let's just say an arbitrary number, $10 million per month to run these facilities. There is a fixed cost and then a variable cost cost. Your fixed cost is you can always run these factories so long as you have, let's say, $10 million per month. That's That gets you a bare minimum amount of cans sold. Now you want to increase the amount of cans you're producing and the cost goes up per month. So here's what you do. If you sell 1 million cans and your profit is only a dollar per can, you make a million dollars. But that means your can's going to cost, you know, let's just say three or four bucks. If you sell 10 million cans, you can reduce that margin by a factor of of 10 down to 10 cents per can and still make the same amount of money. Granted, you don't want to be that direct because making more cans of beer costs more money. My, my, the point I'm trying to make without making it overly complicated, because I'm, I'm sure there's other people who can explain it better. Bud Light is able to produce at the volume they do because their fixed costs don't grow as quickly as their variable costs. That's how bulk sales generally work. Most of you probably know this. It's why when you order more of a thing, it's cheaper because the company that produces it says we don't need to cover. We don't need to make a dollar per can. If we're selling a billion cans, a penny would be fine. So we're dealing this with Cast Brew Coffee. Check out Cast Brew Coffee, uh, castbrew.com. Castbrew.com is the website. We're dealing with this in that because we're doing smaller batches in order to cover the costs of everything we're doing, we need to it's, it's more expensive, right? If you go to Starbucks, you get, I think, I think for the same price as a cast brew bag, Starbucks has four more ounces. So if you like Starbucks, sure. If you want to support us, we're smaller. Nothing we can do to cover the cost of running the business. We're, we're trying, we're like, that's what we have to sell it for. But if we sold like a million bags instead of a few thousand, we could reduce that all the way down to a few pennies per bag because then we're covering our fixed costs. Long story short, I'm rambling here. Bud Light may collapse. All right. This is the point. If Bud Light sells their beer for, let's say, 20 bucks and they're able to sell it at that at that number because of how much they sell with sales dropping 30 percent, it could push Bud Light into no man's land. A 30 percent drop in sales probably will require price hikes on their product or consuming savings or extracting the profits from other brands to supplement the drop in Bud Light. Now, Bud Light sales are still so high, being the number two beer. I don't think they're worried about it yet. Probably just losing a lot of profit with that they use to support other beers. But what this may mean is now that they're selling less volume, there's, there's going to be a cost increase somewhere. There has to be. And that means if it is with Bud Light, well, they're already suffering. So now someone says, not only is it a garbage woke beer, but now it costs a dollar more than the others. Why buy it? And that is the cascade effect. That is the breakdown where Bud Light could actually fall, fall, fall more, more, more. They say Bud Light sales count for 9.1% of the total market in 2023, while Modelo has 
0.8%, a gap of several hundred million dollars. Experts previously warned that Modelo would topple Bud Light for the title, with sales week ending May 20th, plunging 25.7% for Bud Light and soaring 9.2% for their rival. Look at this, man. Good on Modelo. What does that say? Service area, what is it? I don't know. Modelo? Uh, Cerveza? It says Cerveceria. Is that, does that, is that, that's like a place that makes beer, I guess. Yes. And then Dylan Mulvaney put on a pinstripe suit and did a magazine shoot saying that they are ready to move on from girlhood. And a lot of people are like, was this a bit like Borat? And I'm saying like, dude, Dylan Mulvaney is doing a bit like Borat. That's what I think is happening. And, but you know, now Dylan's like, I want to be a comedian, not, you know, a trans person or something like that. I don't think Dylan's saying they're not trans but it kind of feels like they're moving away from this character they use to become famous. And now that they're famous, you might wonder why it is that Mulvaney never got the facial hair removal. Because it's a character like Borat. But hey, Bud Light, good on you destroying an, an iconic American brand so that you can get woke and go broke. This is the Hindenburg of get woke, go broke. This is a catastrophe for American corporate interests. And because of this, the dam is broken. So many more brands are now terrified to embrace wokeness and make it so. There's a story going around about Nike bringing in a doctor, who, a surgeon who performs child sex changes. Make it known. The American people don't stand for this. Bravo to Modelo. It's funny because in the wake of all of these things, we're seeing all these other beer brands post American flags and be like, we like America. <laughs> we don't want any of that stuff. Let's make the trend for corporations. When you put up American flags, we buy your product. When you don't, when you put up the weird woke garbage, we don't buy your product. That's called winning. Congratulations, America. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes. Stick around and I'll see you all shortly. San Francisco is dead and Democrat policy killed it. In this story from ABC7, Hilton, San Francisco, Union Square, Park 55 owner, Stopping payments on loan, firm announces. They will be surrendering the properties to their lender. ABC reports another blow is being dealt to downtown San Francisco. The investment firm that owns Hilton San Francisco Union Square and Park 55 is walking away from its debt and surrendering them to its lender. Park Hotels and Resorts has opted to cease payments on a $725 million loan, according to a press release. This means they're walking away from any equity they had in these properties. They're surrendering the property. This is crazy. Imagine you bought a house and it was 300 grand and you've paid down a decent portion of that. Let's say you paid down 50 grand. And then one day you decide crime is so bad, you surrender the house to the bank and say, we're leaving and you lose all of that money you put in that property. This is what happens. We saw recently San Francisco ran that tourism commercial desperate to bring people back. But the city is dead. When you when when Walmart, well, I'm sorry, Walgreens are closing down when stores are putting up everything behind glass barriers. You got nothing, man. Nobody's coming. Nobody wants to be in this place. And it's your fault. I have to wonder if these people in these cities intentionally destroyed them. The company intends to work in good faith. The loan servicers to determine the most effective path forward, which is expected to result in the ultimate removal of these hotels from its portfolio. 
The 1,921 room Hilton San Francisco is the city's largest hotel occupying an entire city block. Park 55 has 1,024 rooms. I can't imagine they're going to be completely vacant. There are so many tourists still there. There is business going on here. They are needed. Yes, they probably do not have the occupancy rate that they want to have. The firm cited the continued debt burden of the two hotels on its portfolio and multiple factors that have made the San Francisco market less desirable for their business. Could it be the human feces everywhere? I mean, just one guess. In a presentation given to investors last month, Park Hotels and Resorts said San Francisco made up 16% of their sales in 2019, compared to just 3% of the last 12 months. That's massive. Their key concerns are record levels of office, office vacancy, fewer employees returning to offices, and ongoing concerns over safety and security. Hmm. Those things have, be, have to be improved for the sake of everyone, and there hasn't been as much progress as we'd like to see for sure. Robert Sammons, a senior research director for real estate giant Cushman and Wakefield, says the narrative about the city surrounding crime, homelessness and drug use on top of other retailers leaving entirely hasn't helped the situation. Still, he believes it won't be long before new owners step in. It's the urban environment in general that has become the narrative, right? Right. That everyone is speaking about and it's slowly starting to turn around in a lot of markets and it has begun to start turning around in San Francisco, but not fast enough. London Breed, the mayor, released a statement on Monday confirming these businesses will continue to operate and no jobs will be lost at this time. These kind of ownership changes happen, but these hotels will remain open and blah, 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 blah. There's lots of homeless people. Drug use. The city is, is crumbling before our very eyes. They're going to have to subsidize this. The SF Hotel Council said in a statement that the hotels will stay open for business. Park hotels, blah, blah, blah. We get it. Congratulations, San Francisco. You've done it to yourself. You voted for it over and over and over again. And these people just don't learn. From the post-millennial, Rite Aid shutters another drugstore in Seattle amid spiking crime. And yes, my friends, I bring you my favorite, my favorite. Seattle Fire Department reels after two attempts to steal fire engines. What? <laughs> you know, I hate laughing at all this stuff. But I think you get it. I think, sadly, you get it. It's the absurdity of the modern world. Stealing fire trucks. San Francisco, man, wow. Hotel, the Hilton, abandoning the property. Here you go from the post-millennial. Seattle firefighters have reported two instances of people attempting to steal their fire engine while crews were responding to calls last week. According to the Seattle Fire Department, <laughs> two instances in one week. According to the Seattle Fire Department, on Wednesday, while the crew of Engine 10 was responding to a fire at the intersection of 8th Avenue and Spring Street and away from the vehicle, they returned to find an approximately 40-year-old woman sitting in the driver's seat. Como News reported she was unsuccessful and was offered mental health resources. While the Engine 10 crew was responding to an overdose call on Thursday at 3rd Avenue and Marion Street, an approximately 50-year-old woman got into the fire truck driver's seat. According to the outlet, the firefighters were able to get the woman out of the fire engine before she could operate the vehicle, and she was taken to Harborview Medical Center for a mental health evaluation. Because that's what people trying to steal fire trucks need. Seattle police told the outlet that it wasn't the same woman involved in both incidents. In August 2022, it was revealed that Seattle firefighters have increasingly become the victims of dozens of violent and dangerous attacks. 
Their union called called out city officials for the impact that this hostility is having on firefighter safety and the critical services they provide. In December, it was also revealed that many of the suspects have not been charged or have been released from custody. And yes, they'll probably end up doing it again, given the opportunity. In response to the attacks earlier this month, the Seattle City Council voted to expand the city's municipal code regarding obstructing a public officer to include firefighters. That same council repeatedly defunded the already short-staffed police department following the George Floyd riots that rocked the city in the wake of the spring in the wake of the spring and summer of 2020. The wake of the spring? You mean the wake of the death of George Floyd? Additionally, the city implemented a COVID vaccine mandate following the lead of Democratic Governor Jay Inslee, which increased the exodus of officers. The spike in violent crimes, including homicides, followed. The department is down close to 600 officers and 911 response times have decreased. The city's COVID vaccine mandate also led to the termination of firefighters leaving the department, similarly short-staffed and forcing SF, uh, SFD to brown out units from service. Man. Additionally, a $10 million lawsuit has been filed against the city of Seattle after the defunding of the police allegedly led to the wrongful death of William Urick because his address was accidentally on an outdated blacklist for hostility toward first responders because of a previous tenant. Police are required to enter a domicile that is on the blacklist to secure the scene for other first responders, according to Seattle's policy. No officers were available, and Urick's 13-year-old son who called 911 watched his father die. Wow. Don't live in these places, man. Jeez, I can't believe it. It's that stuff. CVS shutting down, huh? I'm sorry, Rite Aid, Rite Aid. And Wednesday, Rite Aid owner of uh, uh, Rite Aid owner of Seattle-based Bartell Drugs announced it will permanently be closing the chain's Ballard location at 15th and Market on June 8th as the area continues to grapple with rampant shoplifting and crime. Let me tell you guys a story. I lived in Seattle, and I was in Fremont, so not that far away from Ballard. And uh, I knew people who would walk into grocery stores with shopping carts, fill them up like they were shopping, and then just walk right out the door. And nobody would ever stop them. And I asked, I was like, how do you, are you kidding? It's like hundreds of dollars worth of groceries, a full cart, and they just walk right out. And you know what they said? The employees aren't allowed to stop them, and the police don't respond fast enough to do anything about it. So quite literally, it's just the food's free. And I'm like, well, it's not free. You're stealing it. And they're like, sure. But if the employees can't even approach you and the police can't make, look, they were like the amount of time it takes me to walk out the door and just leave with this cart, nothing can do about it. Literally nothing. And they would do it all the time. I'm like, don't they know who you are by now? Doesn't matter. You walk in, they can't stop you. Not allowed. Fill up the shopping cart, walk to the door. By the time you get to the exit, that's you have to walk out to actually have stolen things. Then they can call the police and say, someone just walked out with a cart full of groceries. And you know what the police say? So they're gone? Well, yeah. What do you want us to do about it? File a report, I guess. Okay, tell us your report. We'll take it down. And that's it. Nothing more could be done. You saw that story with, uh, I think it was Lululemon. The two women followed out the shoplifters filming them. They got fired. That's right. Employees aren't allowed to engage. They have lost prevention officers a lot of these places, but even then they can't do anything. I'll tell you some crazy stories. I know people who, uh, I mean, it's happened to me and my friends. We, we, we'd be shopping at Walmart and we would buy something. And as we're walking out, a security guard would come up and be like, hey, and grab and, and grab us. I remember I was at a Home Depot 
and we bought a bunch of boxes. And I think we bought boxes. That's what happened. And we were leaving after having paid for them. And a security guard grabbed the cart and was like, where do you think you're going? It's like, dude, we paid for this. Here's the receipt. Don't grab me. But that's why they're not allowed to engage because it's assault. Someone can't just come up to you and grab you. So now you get the, the inverse. I would not mind a security guard being like, receipt, please. Having, being like, you can't leave with the cart. In fact, the door shouldn't open. You should walk up and the door should remain closed. And then he presses a button to open it. That's what they're doing. Not a lot of places, though. The Walgreens is a Walgreens in Chicago. That doesn't even have products. You walk up to a kiosk and press it, pay for it, and then they'll bring it to you. That's the future. You know, these cities are, are just crumbling. It's unfortunate. And it leads us to dark places. Whatever, man. You reap what you sow. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.